And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. If the Connect Kids want to be dismissed to go back with Jack for Connect Kids, Kenneth is uh, having surgery this week, and so he's not here with us. Pastor Kenneth is our youth pastor, Next Generations pastor, and so uh, we're filling in some places for him. And I said, Jack, how do you want me to release the kids? And Jack said this, just simply stand up and say, release the Kraken. <laughs> Doesn't that sound so much cooler than release the Connect Kids? But if you guys want to go, go back there and follow Jack and have a, an amazing time back there. So, you know, we're getting ready, and, and like Ashley said, we haven't um, eaten together in a while. It's been a while because of COVID. We didn't have any, any uh, family meals together. But we've got Back to Church coming up on September 19th, and it's called Hope is Here. And after a year of wondering what's going on, we're able to gather back together. We're going to have food here. We're going to have games for the family. It is going to be an amazing time. You'll want to make sure to join us. Uh, use one of these cards to invite someone say, hey, come with me. It's going to be a great time. And we're looking forward to, to all that, that God has in store for us. But it's, it's going to be great. We've been doing this series, walking through Ephesians, and, and my dear friend Bessie walked up to me this morning. She goes, Pastor, I want you to know, I've read over the passage you're going to preach over this morning twice yesterday, and all I've got to say is, you better bring it this morning. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, no, no pressure there. So if I brought something that, that Bessie didn't read ahead of time, I'm so sorry, Bessie, but... You know, growing up in, in the church and hearing these great stories, I, I remember someone came to our college campus. He was telling us this, a story of his faith journey, and he said he grew up in Kansas, and, and his dad was not a Christian man, and his mom and, and, and the kids would go to, to, to church. But at their specific Nazarene church, they had a revival service every year. And so the mom said, hey, would you come to me to the revival service? He goes, oh, I've got things to do. I've got the farm to take care of. And if the farm's taken care of, I want to go fishing. And if the fishing's not in season, because I want to go hunting. There's so many things I'd rather do than go to church. And she goes, well, perfect. We planned our fall revival for what, the week before hunting starts and harvest is done. You can join us. And he went to revival service, and he got saved. God spoke into his life. His life was completely changed. And he went home and immediately got rid of all his cigarettes, all of his tobacco. He threw away the alcohol. And he said, this guy said, from that day forward, my dad's life was changed. And here we are in Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul is telling us that we should be different than what we were before. 
If you want to follow along, I'm starting in verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated the life of God from the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him who were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. You were taught with regard of your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Sometimes we make this false assumption that if I just get Jesus in my life, everything else will work out. And so we accept Jesus, and, 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 and everything's so cool, and everything's so great. Colors seem brighter, life seems better, noise seems more pleasant. And then life continues to happen around us, and we have trials and tribulations. And sometimes we falsely say, I, I didn't sign up for the trials and tribulations. I just signed up for my life to be radically different. In our Men's Bible study, we're talking about assurance and, and, and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are saved. And I, I tell this story, and my, my brother tells it differently than me. That's okay. He's not standing up here, so I'll tell you my version of the story. I remember the day that I got saved. It was beginning of August. We were in a campground in northern Nebraska without air conditioning, and it was hot. My brother and I were sitting on the front row. And the preacher finished preaching his message and said, anyone who wants to receive Jesus, come forward. And my brother pushed me out in the aisle way. And I'm like, oh, man, if I look like I just ran out here, man, I'm getting sure my mom and dad, I might as well go to the altar and, and do something. And I went down there, and I didn't just do something, but God did something in me. And I remember I got up there, and... and uh, I told my brother, I said, man, I said, something changed. And he goes, well, it's about time because something needed to change. And we we're talking about it. And my, my brother was actually my, my first discipler in life. And I remember that night he told me, he said, hey, you need to read the Bible every night because you don't read the Bible, you're going to go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. And so uh, truth is all truth can, can be. I never missed a day reading the Bible until I was almost 20. I was 19 years old, I missed it, and I thought, well, I hope I don't go to hell because I missed reading the Bible. And then I realized, hey, I know that I'm saved. But the other thing that my brother told me, he goes, hey, now that you're a Christian, you can't act the way you did before. Christians don't go to the principal's office every day. I know, right? I Actually, the principal invited me to his office because he liked me and he wanted to talk about life. He wanted to show me his collection of boards that he had on his wall. Just for me. You know, all, all those things. But my, my brother, I mean, he's telling me this. Hey, something's got to break here. Something's got to change. Because you can't be acting the way you were before. You have got to change. I mean, hey, my parents are telling me the same thing. But sometimes, you know, as kids, your parents sound like the teacher on Charlie Brown. Rah, 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 rah. 
They're always telling me I had to change. I'm like, why? I like myself the way I am. When my mom would tell me that I need to change, I'm like, oh, mom, I thought you were supposed to love me just the way I am. I tried that with my wife when we first got married, too. And she said, she goes, to quote Pastor Mark, I love you too much to leave you the way I found you. But Paul is saying, when we become followers of the way, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we take off the old self and we put on a new self and we are different. And that is the the crux of everything that we know is that we don't have to live the way that we once lived. We don't have to, to be the way that we once were, but we can be changed. So many times we think that being a follower of Jesus, that we're seeking after happiness, but I want you to know that happiness is fleeting. Because happiness is all about what happens to us, but God hasn't called us to be happy. God has called us to be holy. True, godly joy and holiness are eternal. Do you want to be happy or do you want to be holy? Thank you. So I want you to know there are people in the world today who are seeking God and they're worshiping God. And they're not very happy about their circumstances. Jim Garlow posted this morning, and he's a mentor of mine, that they've been going into Afghanistan, and a friend of his has been raising money, raised $30 million to go into Afghanistan and, and, and save Christians, to bring them over to America, or to bring them to another country where they can worship God, where they wouldn't have to be afraid of the Taliban going door-to-door, knocking on their doors, and he talked about the, the hurdles and the frustration. And now his friends group have gone undergarden. They've gone dark because they don't want anyone to know where they are. I want you to know something. Those Christians in Afghanistan are holy, but they're not happy. But you know what? Holiness is greater than happiness. Because happiness is fleeting. But holiness is eternal. In marriages, we, we tend to say, hey, I just want to be happy. I want to be happy. You're not making me happy. Why aren't you making me happy? And Gary Thomas, a, a marriage therapist who's written many books, said, God didn't call you to be married for happiness. God called you to be married for holiness. Because if you seek holiness, at some point you will gain happiness. That's what God is calling us to do. And so here's the question. Are we living in accordance with our old life? In verse 17, he said, I, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you, most, you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You see, the old world tells us whatever you think, whatever your mind wants, that's what we should go after. But Paul's saying we, we've got to leave that futility behind us. We've got to chase something greater, something more. And he goes, that old life, it's desiring sin. Romans 10 says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer is prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, for I can testify about them with a zealousness for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. The, the people that Paul's writing about is they're desiring sin. They want to do their own thing. And they're asking this question, how can you judge me? I just want to be happy. Can't I just be happy? Can't you stop judging me? Let me do what I want to do? So 
in your home, imagine if everybody that you lived with just wanted to be happy. Can you imagine the chaos that would ensue? See, growing up, I did not like eating certain foods. One of the foods of the devil was beets. I now like beets. But at the time, they were the enemy. And my, my, my parents would say this, you're going to sit there until you finish eating your beets. I, I'm stubborn. But I've got nothing on my dad. I thought, well, I'll just outlast him. And I'd sit there and I wouldn't eat him. I'd sit there and I wouldn't eat him. And my dad would just sit there and he'd be like, we're not getting up until you eat those beets. I'm like, I can't outlast you. No, I can't. He might be only 5'5", five, five, but he is extremely stubborn. And I eat my beets. And he'd tell me, he goes, hey, I want you to know, beets taste really good hot. They, they taste terrible cold. Eat them while they're hot. And then I discovered the reason why you should eat your beets. One of the reasons I'm not going to share, share with you, but it's really fun. But the other reason is my brother and I would have contests to see whose tongue could be the reddest. And so we'd finish, and, you know, the more beets you ate, the more red your tongue got, the more red other things got, and it was so much fun. But it wasn't something I wanted to do. It wasn't something that came naturally to me. It wasn't something like my parents would say, hey, we're going to have beets. I didn't think, oh, man, I can see who gets their tongue the reddest. No, I was thinking, oh, really, again? Why are you doing this to me? I told them it was child abuse. They didn't care. But sometimes we desire sin. We don't want the good things in life. I didn't realize that beets are a superfood and they do so many healthy things for you. All I knew was I didn't like them. Paul's saying, you know, we desire sin. We, we don't want the stuff that's good for us. We want the stuff that's bad for us. In, second, in, in 1 Peter, the apostle says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. See, quit conforming to the world. Quit being a cookie cutter of what the world wants, but be transformed. Be different. Step out of the mold and say, you know what? I'm not going to live according to sin anymore. I'm going to live according to God. There's a spiritual blindness that comes on us. Here, here's a really cool passage. If you want to read it in the Old Testament, you can. But when Moses would go and speak before God, this is awesome. He would go and he'd speak. I'm sorry, I said that word again, John. This is outstanding. I say awesome a lot. This is outstanding. Moses would go and he would speak before God. And he would come down off the mountain and his face would glow. And he was in the presence of God. His face would glow. And the Israelites would ask him to put a veil on his face because they couldn't even stand the look on the reflection of the glory of God on Moses' face. Now imagine that. We should so to be like Moses that when we speak to God, we glow the presence of God. And so here's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians. We are not, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading. He had to keep the veil over his face while the radiance of God was fading from him. But their minds were made dull. For this day, that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. He's saying we still keep this veil over our face. We still keep it intact because we don't want to read what God has in store for us. We don't want to see the glory of God. 
Even to this day, when Moses read, a veil covers their hearts. Do we keep a veil over us? Because we don't want to see the presence of God? You see, they walk around in spiritual darkness. One of the dark verses of the Bible is 2 Samuel 3.1. And this is what it says. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. The word of the Lord was rare. Dr. Jim Dunn spoke over this passage at ordination service this summer. And in our family, we have an argument about how you should make your steak. We have those who make it right, medium rare, and we have one who makes it wrong, burnt. We're not going to point any fingers. Terry likes her steak burnt. I'm kidding. She really does. Actually, she does like it burnt. But it's not that it's wrong. It's just the way that she likes her, her steak. And he talked about how sometimes we, we don't realize that the word of the Lord is rare among us, but we should have a well-done word of the Lord, where the word of the Lord comes to us. And I, I look at this, and so many times in our lives, the word of the Lord does not come to us very often. It is rare. And we say, when is the last time that I heard from God? When is the last time that God spoke to me? When is the last time that God moved in me? It is so rare to hear it. That's why it's so dark to me when I read this, because the word of the, of the Lord was rare to the Israelites. Eli wasn't following God the way he should. Eli's sons were killed because they weren't being obedient to God. And Eli was the high priest. Are we listening to God? See, when we're living in the old way, we don't really care what God has to say. So let's bring this into modern-day America. We want everybody else to change so that we can be happy about our sin. There are many times in my life where I will put up with broken things because I say, well, it's not really that big of a deal. Because what, why? I've gotten used to it. You see, when we get used to things being broken, they don't seem that big of a deal, and, and everything else is broken around us. So why should this one thing be a big deal? So we look at sin, and we're like, well, is it really a big deal? But God says, I, I, want to, I want to free you from that. Why does God want to free us from it? 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's why we change, because we belong to God. And therefore, because we belong to God, we should start to resemble God. But our problem is that we want to make God into our image. Another friend of mine, Dr. Everett Piper, says, we are the Imago Dei, which means the image of God. When God created us in Genesis chapter 1, we were created in the image of God. And ever since then, we've been trying to recreate God in our image. That's why God said in the, in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no graven image before you. He said, quit trying to recreate me and just worship me. 
And then he goes on, he says, hey, let's start living according to the new life. There, there's a new life out there. And let's start living according to that new life. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Andrew Moffat says, life has its challenges to our walking in God's presence. We are presented with an opportunity in all things. Remember that they are close to you, or our God. <clears throat> and in all things, remember that the closer you are to God, the more defined and visible will be the image of Him that you reflect. The closer we are to God, the more we reflect His glory. The further away we get from God, the less we reflect His glory. We have to be willing to forsake sin. We have to be willing to get, get rid of it and say, you know what, I don't want that in my life. True repentance hates sin for what it is. It is an affront to God. Sin is an enemy of God. And, and to truly be obedient, to truly be repentant, we have got to be able to turn our back on that and say, that's, what I, that's not what I want. I don't want sin to reign in my life. In 1 John 3, 9, it says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him, and he cannot go on sinning because God, because he has been born of God. I can't go on doing things that hurt God. Can I? In Hebrews, it tells us that every time I sin, Christ is crucified again. Can I go on doing things to my Savior that hurts him? See, God, God's calling us. He's saying, no, no, just, just come with me. Travel this road with me. I, I've got so many plans for you. I've got great, great things in store for you. Just travel with me. Come with me. You know what I discover in my life? There are certain things that I love that are not healthy for me. I love sugar. I do not like fake sugar. Fake sugar is not real sugar. Fake sugar is fake. I've hit the point in life, though, that I can tell the moment I have real sugar. One the taste factor is amazing. I'm just not going to go out there and spoon it in my mouth because that would just be gross and nasty. But the other thing is I notice is it does things to my body that I don't want to have done to my body. It creates inflammation. It creates all these other things. I'm like, I don't want that. You see, sin does the same thing. It creates things to our spiritual body that we don't want, but there's a longing, there's a desire for us. Like, man, but it tastes so good. What does it do? You see, we have to have a spiritual renewal. Do not lie to yourself since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed by our knowledge. Our, the, we're renewing our minds. We're transforming who we are. So what we once desired is no longer desirous to us. One of our amazing patriarchs here at 
Connect Church. He passed away back last December. Had a great story. Him and his wife, Margaret, had this tremendous story. And it didn't take me long to hear their story when, when my wife and I came here to start pastoring. But she would tell us how she would pray for Gary from the moment they got married. And she knew that he was not a follower of Jesus Christ. She prayed for him to become a Christian. And he went away on a trip. He went to the Christian Motorcycle Association. And he called her up and he said, Margaret, I want you to get rid of all my beer, all my alcohol. I've been saved. And she's like, well, I've heard this one before. I, I love what she said. She goes, well, can I wash my hair with your beer? I didn't know you could do that, but apparently, ladies, washing your hair with beer is a very good thing. So if I smell like beer next time you see me, I washed my hair with it. Just throwing that out there for you. But she said he came home and he was different. This is what she told me. 40 years I've been praying for his salvation. 40 years. And she goes, the man that I'm married to now, he's always been a great man, but now he's filled with God. What a great story. He said, you know, the things that I once desired before I was a Christian I no longer desire. It changed me. It changed me. Holiness. That's all it comes down to. God wants and desires for us to seek holiness. Leviticus 11.45 says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. Be holy as I am holy. All the way back in the Old Testament, God is calling and saying, this is the call I have for you. He didn't say, be like all the other nations. He goes, I want you to be holy as I am holy. Several other times in the Old Testament, he pulls it out, but he, but he brings it forward. He says, I want you to be holy. George Fox, a 18th century theologian, said that they could not endure to hear of purity and victory over sin and the devil. They could not believe that any could be free from sin on the side of this grave. I presented them the scriptures, which were holy men's words, while they pleaded for unholiness. Then I submitted to them to avoid talking of scripture, which were the holy men's words. For I said, the holy men that wrote the scriptures pleaded for holiness in heart, life, and conversation. But since you plead for impurity and sin, which is of the devil, what have you to do with holy men's words. God's always been calling us to holiness. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he said, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. God called us. He saved us, but not just to leave us at that point. God saved us to lead us on to sanctification, to lead us on to holiness. And if we reject that, we're not rejecting men. We're rejecting God. In Hebrews, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord.
God's called us. He's taken us ordinary, everyday people. And when he saves us and he wants to pour into us and he puts his Holy Spirit upon our lives and he says, I've called you not to be like the world, but to be holy. I've called you to live in sanctification, to live in holiness. And there's a process there. There's a dying out. And that process of dying out is painful and it hurts. But you know, we hit a breaking point. Something has to break. Right now, in God's name, something has to break. I believe you'll get me to it. I'll believe you'll lead me through it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something has to break. We struggle so much because we want control of our lives. We want to hold on to everything. And there's a breaking point that says, you know what? I need to let go of this. I need to let God have control of it. And I'm as guilty as everybody else. I love to be in control. I love to be able to say, look what I've done. But when push comes to shove, something's got to break. I've got to be willing to say, okay, God, take it. Not my will but God's will be done. I just want you to bow your heads with me. I just want you to think, what in your life are you dealing with? What in your life has got a break? What in your life is coming to a breakthrough? You're saying, man, God is calling me. He's asked me to give this up. He's asked me to give this up. We sit there in our lives and we're holding on to everything with clenched fists. And we're saying, I'm holding on to as hard as I can. And God's saying, Just give it up because something's got to break. break it loose. You've got to give it over to God. And there's things in your life that you're holding on to tightly and refusing to let go of. It's got to break. You've got to give it over to God. It's so difficult to let go of all the things that you've been controlling and holding. And the sin that seems so appetizing to you, but it's got to break loose. You've got to give it over to God.
Father, I just pray right now, God, I ask the Lord that you speak in each and every one of our lives. I pray, God, that you would reveal what needs to break loose. I pray, God, that you would reveal the sin that so easily entangles us, that wraps its arms around us, that keeps us from pursuing you, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring us to our breaking point. And I pray, God, that you would see us through. I pray, God, that you would free us. I pray, God, that you would set us free. Whatever it is, God, something's got to break. It's our strongholds. It's our will. It's all the things that we hold on to. And I ask right now, God, that you'd pour out your grace, pour out your mercy, pour it out upon us, God. May we feel your presence. circumstances, but I pray, Lord, that we would look only to you. We pray this in your holy name.